Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. In the past few episodes, we've talked about the concept of a bigger, bolder retirement. Basically, the rewarding opportunities you create for yourself when you focus on your goals and you ramp up your efforts to reach them. Today, we're going to lift the hood and check out the mechanics of a bigger, bolder retirement. And who better than to walk us through the workings of that machine we need to create and fuel than our own master mechanic, Jim Cruzan. I'm Patrice Sikora. Jim, we're under the hood. How do we build this bigger, bolder retirement? Great question. Actually, what we probably should do is start at the very beginning and understand what bigger, bolder really means. And for us, it is all about experience. It's all about the things that you'll experience, the things you'll do, the people you do it with, and the places you'll do it at. It may be grandiose ideas about what you'd like to accomplish in retirement, or it could be as simple as, gee, it'd be nice to be able to afford an extra week in Florida during the cold Michigan winters. We need to be able to kind of start at the beginning and understand then what drives these experiences. And for most of our clients, it's really all about cash flow. These experiences are not cheap. They tend to cost money or income or cash flow. So what do we need to do to align all of our resources so that we can drive greater cash flow? And that's at the end of the day what it's really about. So when we think about this, there are several different ways that we can drive cash flow. We can look at all of our resources and we can segment them between the investments we have today, those investments that we will accumulate through additional savings between now and retirement, and also those those guaranteed sources of income that we're expected to get as well, whether that might be a pension for those who are still covered under pensions, it may very well be social security or other aspects like an annuity. And every single one of these, there are decisions that need to be made. As an example, just simply pension. You can take your pension really at any time after retirement. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take it at the time you elect to leave employment. And most pensions are geared that the earlier you take it, the younger the age you are at the time you take it, the less you get. And in many cases, many of these pensions will change year over year by a factor of six, 7%. So depending on how we align our resources, it may very well make more sense, have more impact to consider some type of a delay on that income. Also, with pension, there may be a a greater opportunity to consider a lump sum option as opposed to 
the cash flow or annuity option. It may play better if we're considering broader based decisions like longevity or, or legacy. One of the biggest mistakes we see are people who, in my opinion, make a less than effective decision on social security. It seems like everybody feels a need to take social security immediately upon retirement. And since the retirement age keeps getting lower over decades, a lot of people latch on to social security at 62. Well, the way social security is calculated and the way the benefit is geared Every year you delay taking social security until full retirement age, which for many is age 67, is an increase of six and two thirds percent a year and a cost of living adjustment as well. Once you achieve full retirement age, you can continue to delay until 70, in which case, in addition to cost of living, you get an 8% contractual increase. Now, let's put that in perspective for a second. An individual who is over age 67, if we can arrange their resources and assets so they don't have to use social security and could have delayed it just a single year, they would have received from last year to this year an 8% bump on that benefit for the rest of their life, plus they would have gotten an 8.6% cost of living adjustment on top of that. That would be an increase in a single year of mid-teens, 15 16%, that would have applied to the income for the rest of their life and would have created a greater base upon which future cost of living adjustments are adjusted. It's a huge decision. And if we were just to simply reverse engineer this and say, oh, well, I could have taken it early and I could have saved that money. And what return would I have to have on that money to be able to afford this 15% increase for the rest of my life? Well, for most of us, it's a return we would never be able mm -hmm. to achieve. What and, even, and even if we could achieve it, it would have required a significant amount of risk. Whereas sure. this decision is really riskless. We just have to properly align our resources. What do you Another, say to those people, uh, though, who say, I want to take it. It's my money. It's, it's not going to be there when I get older. Well, that's, that's usually one of the reasons they take it early. It's either, uh, you know, oh, gee, I'm not going to live that long, or mm -hmm. I heard Social Security is running out. The way I would answer this, this issue about I think the money's going to run out uh, would be this way. Um, all getting older, the elderly, and I, I, I use that term very loosely and not from a derogatory point of view, but they're, they're becoming an incredibly important voting block. And I don't think there's a single politician or group of politicians that's going to deny social security. There are easy fixes. You can push back the age you are to receive benefit. And, and if you take it early, you will elect to receive a lower benefit. And that pushes this, this problem out uh, several decades. But the other way of looking at it too, is if you're arranging your resources and assets so that you can drive a greater social security benefit, 
And let's say worst case scenario happens and the government says, hey, we've never been able to fix this. Everybody's getting a 24% haircut off their social security benefit. Wouldn't it go to reason that the person who has the highest benefit going into that cut (laughs) is going to still have the highest benefit coming out of that cut? Right? Yeah. They're not going to say, well, you made all the right decisions and you've got a much bigger social security benefit than the guy who didn't. We're going to penalize you more. I doubt that would happen. So there are other things that can be done here in terms of resources. Investments are important. So how do we drive more interest? How do we drive more dividend? How do we drive more capital appreciation growth? Because at the end of the day, the money you spend in retirement is different than the money you had while you're accumulating it. When you're accumulating wealth, it's all about income, what you've earned going to work and trading time for, 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 for capital. In retirement, you spend cash flow. And cash flow doesn't necessarily need to be taxable. If I've got a big pile of money in the bank and I can live off of that for two or three years, guess what? My taxable income is zero. If I'm pulling money from a Roth or another type of an account that doesn't have the same tax loading, I might find that I can create the same amount of cash flow, but be taxed at a much, much lower rate as well. So it's really important to look at all phases of of resource. And at the end of the day, growth is still very important because when we look at what we need to spend 20, 30 years down the road and we inflation adjust that, more than likely the lion's share of our spend is going to come from tapping the resources of our portfolio, which means the more growth that we can achieve, the greater opportunity we can convert that to cash flow. And cash flow drives experiences and experiences drive a bigger older retirement. Jim, that all sounds wonderful, but how do we get ourselves into a position where we can generate this better cash flow? Great question. So the key is the choices we make. When accumulating capital over a work career, 20, 30, 40 years, we're presented with many, many, many different decisions that need to be made. And how we handle those decisions will have a huge effect a generation or so down the road, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. In mathematics, they call it chaos theory. And it's a, it's a branch of study which really talks about how results in a, in a complex system where results can vary dramatically, both to the good and the bad, based on certain decisions and changes that can occur, which often through the process seem unrelated. And if you think about it, that's very, very similar to this whole idea about building a bigger, bolder retirement. If our system or our goal is a bigger, bolder retirement, then these subtle changes and adjustments we make, and many of those would be considered strategies, techniques, tactics that we can apply can have a huge impact down the road. Let me provide an example with respect to this. So 
we often will work with younger engineers. We will work with folks who are children of some of our long-held clients. And some of these children who now have a great job are faced with student debt. And the decision they make with respect to paying the student debt can have a huge impact down the road. For example, if someone decided, look, I want to get the student debt out of the way, it's a pain in the neck, and I'm going to take any extra resources I have, and I'm just going to chunk that into this debt, I think I can pay it off over seven years. And then at the end of the seven-year period, I'm going to get serious about retirement planning. I'll be in my, my late 20s. I still have a whole lot of time to save for retirement. Well, the problem with that choice is this. There's a, a rule called the rule of 72. And it's really kind of clever. And it says that if you take the number 72 and you divide into that your expected long-term rate of return, the remainder will be the number of years it would take for money to double. So as an example, let's say we're investing fairly aggressively. This is a very young person. And let's say in this environment, we can still get 10% a year. Now, that might be a pipe dream, but for the example, we'll use 10% a year. So 72 divided by 10 is 7.2. So what that says is every 7.2 years, whatever money we had should double. Now, somebody who's starting out, who has the ability to save and elects not to, and, and they concentrate on paying off that debt, by the time they retire 30, 35, 40 years down the road, they've missed a double. They did not save that seven years, that money, and, and that can be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars by just missing that opportunity. Something that's being done today, which seems to be very rational, I want to get out of debt, may have a huge impact way down the road when we factor those things in. So here at Caden Wealth, we've kind of wrapped everything we do around this, this formula which is simply a bigger, bolder retirement is driven by investment management. Think of all the things we can do with respect to investment management, plus advanced planning, which are all those tactics and strategies and techniques, plus relationship management, which is that relationship one would have with an advisor. And, and what that does is that creates a, an infrastructure, an ecosystem upon which we can then drive this process. I'm getting into this formula here. It's it's fascinating. Tell me more. Tell me more about this. The the well, um, the investment management, advanced planning, and relationship management. Tell me more. Right. Well, why don't we start right at the beginning and let's look at and, and we're going to do this in at really thirty thousand feet. Our plan is that the next several episodes will go into much more detail with each of these three. But for now, just to kind of as a sense of better defining what we want to talk about, let's let's review this a little bit. So when you look at investment management, what we're really talking about here are all the all the things that we should do with respect to the money we're accumulating. And in a in in a large case, in in most situations, there are really three things 
you should be considering. One is the tax efficiency of the, the assets, uh, meaning are they throwing off a lot of taxable income? And we need to also consider not so much now, but what things look like in the future. Uh, we need to look at growth. Do we have the ability to have this money work for us and continue to grow wealth that we will harvest down the road and create cash flow? And then last but not least, we also need to consider um, downside risk protection, just how much loss uh, is, is potential in this portfolio. And that's critical to folks who are now retired and living off their assets. The equation and everything we do to accumulate is quite a bit different, almost the reverse, when we're decumulating and starting to take money out of the portfolio. Now, just this one aspect of downside risk protection, I think generally the public has this somewhat wrong. And, 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 I, and I mean this from the perspective of I've interviewed thousands and thousands of clients and potential clients and other people at speaking engagements. And when you talk to somebody about risk, what they really fear is the complete loss of that capital. Like it was there and now mm -hmm. it's not there and it's never coming back. They are also extremely fearful of going through another event, much like the, 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 the Great Recession right. or the financial crisis, where assets dropped, portfolio values dropped 30, 35, 40% or more because they saw the pain and anguish of getting that back. And it was very difficult. The problem with that is there are a lot of products that are available today, a lot of things that are sold, which will kind of frame this equation as, hey, this particular investment has no downside risk. Any year that the market is down, you will not see a drop at all. But there's a huge trade-off and there's a, uh, an, an opportunity cost to that. And people don't realize that. And that opportunity cost is to be able to provide some product, some investment that does that, you miss out significantly on upside. You do not participate in the market as you should. And when you look at the odds, uh, markets are up seven out of 10 years, you're denying an awful lot of that. I, I remember once uh, giving a, a talk on retirement planning, and uh, this was oh, I don't know, eight years ago, maybe. And this woman came up and uh, I had made a comment um, uh, about some of these products that offer the, the world, you know, mm -hmm. uh, no downside, the, the holy grail of investing, right? No downside, it's going to track the market. And she kind of got the idea that I wasn't a big fan. And uh, she told me her story and uh, she and her husband got scared to death. Their assets were down 40% because the market was down and nobody was paying any attention to those assets as they were going down. So she just kind of rode the thing all the way down. Oh. Then she got scared to death. Then somebody comes in and says, how would you like never to have that happen again? 
let me show you this and you'll never lose another dollar in the market again. She puts her money in that and then roll ahead. The market has recovered. You would have fully recovered your complete loss in about three years off the market bottom. And you would have been on to building greater wealth, more wealth than you ever would have had. And about eight years into the recovery, she has yet to recover her original loss. And now that same fellow wants to sell her something that looks a whole lot more like the market with now greater downside loss, because now the complaint is it's not providing the growth we need. My opinion is we fail in what we have the ability to achieve by worrying about significant loss. And, and, And as a result, we're kind of using a blunt object this thing that will offer no loss, but very little return to satisfy that. Whereas if presented to a client, the opportunity to say, look, you know, we, we can, we can become more conservative. We can lose less on the downside. We're not promising that you're never going to lose anything, but you certainly will have the opportunity to participate to a much greater extent when the markets are recovering and you should be far further ahead as a result of that. That's a a much more important conversation to have. And when people have the facts and they understand that, they're far more willing to take take a look at that and and, and consider that. So this investment equation is really quite quite important. You keep mentioning capital, though, capital. What do you mean by capital? For, For some people, it may be a little bit different. Yeah, in in uh, in my vernacular, uh, when I refer to capital, I just refer to the sum total of your liquid accumulated wealth. Uh, it, 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 I, I don't necessarily consider equity in your home. You know, that's part of your net worth. Mm-hmm. But generally, hey, we we all have to live somewhere, okay. and whether we're going to take that capital and and go somewhere else, generally we're going to buy something. And unless you're buying something significantly less expensive, you're really not releasing any of that equity as investable capital. So, what is your investable capital, and what can we do to grow it? How can we create more of it that can then potentially drive the opportunity for more? cash flow, which can drive the opportunity for greater experiences, which by our definition is a bigger, older retirement. Fantastic. All right. That's investment management, part one. Part two, (laughs) (laughs) advanced planning. Isn't all planning advanced planning? Not not necessarily. Um, There are a lot of folks that are engaged with uh, advisors that do a really good job, but their focus is really just simply investments. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, my opinion is we miss out on a lot of big levers that can be pulled or pushed that can also drive greater cash flow down the road. It's a, it's a myriad of decisions that need to be made that can impact how much we have the ability to save where we save it in terms of taxable or tax-free, both now and in the future. We also have decisions that need to be made. We touched on these in terms of pensions and social security, which can have big, big impacts 
on the guaranteed resources that we have the ability to enjoy later in life. There are so many of these decisions that need to be made. And because of chaos theory, uh, theory, they have a huge impact down the road. And to a large degree, many of these are just made kind of nonchalantly because there's no real thought of how they are all potentially interconnected. Uh, we've identified hundreds of strategies, techniques, and tactics that can be used along the way. Um, a, a really good example of that is, is Roth IRA, which I think is a great vehicle. It's a tax-free vehicle. You put money in that's already been taxed. It grows over time, tax-deferred. And then when you pull it out at an age over 59 and a half, it's tax-free. And imagine the benefit of having a pool of money that can provide tax-free income in retirement. Vastly important, dramatically impactful. But the government says, you know, if you make over 150-ish thousand dollars as a single person or $228,000 as a married couple, and we have a number of engineers who work for large corporations who are well into their career and combined with any kind of a bonus, they're way over that. And when it's time to prepare their taxes, their CPA says, oh, you've made too much money, your modified adjusted gross income is over the limit, and you can't fund your Roth this year. Well, that's not necessarily so. There are other tactics and techniques. For example, if that couple have, has worked for a large corporation and stayed employed with that corporation, they probably don't have an IRA. Most of their accumulation is with the company in their 401k. So you could open up, as an example, a tax, an, an after-tax IRA, a regular IRA that you're funding, which are not taking the tax deduction on it because you're not allowed to, you make too much money. The rule is anybody can fund an after-tax IRA as long as they've earned income, regardless of the amount of income they have. And because they no longer or don't have any other IRAs, they can immediately convert that non-taxable IRA to a Roth. So as an example, the government says, no, 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 you make too much. But every year that individual could fund a Roth IRA just indirectly. My wife and I have never been able to fund a Roth directly. We've never missed funding a Roth since the day they were created. I like it. Another, another thing you can do is there are many corporations that will allow you to put money into a 401k above and beyond the pre-tax limit. That's just additional money that would go in. Eventually, at some point during the year, you've reached your pre-tax max and everything else spills in on an after-tax basis. And there are some, some bans on this and there are some limits, but generally, you could get anywhere from fifteen to maybe as much as $30,000 of additional after-tax money in a 401k. All of that every year can be reconstituted as a Roth and rolled over into a Roth IRA. So here's a situation where somebody who's denied funding a Roth directly might be able to fund two, three, four times as much as the Roth limit by funding through the 401k using this strategy. Another really quick example of how things change quickly. HSAs have been around now for a few years, stands for health savings account. People that have a high deductible program can fund 
an HSA. You can fund an HSA until you're age 65 and Medicare eligible. The HSA really is the best of both worlds. Money goes in and you get a tax deduction. It reduces your taxable income, just like it would if you were funding a a 401k. Money in an HSA grows tax deferred. You're never getting 1099 or paying taxes on the price appreciation. And then when you pull it out, presumably for medical expense and I have never seen a retiree or somebody planning retirement that won't have medical expenses. That money comes out completely tax-free. It looks like a Roth. It's like the the child of uh, of a 401k and a Roth coming together. But here's the issue that I see is many people use this simply as a conduit for medical payment. I'm going to put the money in through my payroll deduction. And then every year I'm using it to cover these small, little, non-reimbursable medical expenses. You could instead use this as an additional savings vehicle. You don't have to use it for medical expense. If a husband and wife are preparing for retirement and they're, they're at their prime earning years, they should have plenty of cash flow to satisfy those small, little deductions. But I'll tell you what, having a sizable HSA built in retirement can, can make a huge difference. Being able to pull that money out tax-free and deny paying taxes on that in retirement is a huge benefit. So just reframing the equation a bit using certain tactics can make a huge difference down the road in terms of the resources you have to drive cash flow, which drives experience. There's a little bit of satisfaction in there too, <laughs> not having to pay the tax. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of satisfaction. <laughs> exactly. Those are fascinating ins and outs and they're legal. Yes. Tell me yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they, they're legal. All right. Now we come to point three and that is relationship management. Yeah. So relationship management is really kind of the, the glue that holds this all together. And it's, it's, it's much more than just simply having a, a trusted relationship with an advisor. It's really about the, the cadence of meetings, the frequency, what those meetings look like. It's about the, the resources and the deliverables that are created during that relationship so that you understand exactly how you're tracking and where you are with respect to a, a myriad of important goals, one of which might be retirement, but there are many others as well. It's, it's about the adjustments and, 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 and critical changes that have to happen as well. Cause I've, I've never seen a retirement plan that is just simply linear. We stay on this and we do this for 30 years and there's this pot of gold. It just doesn't happen that way. There are a lot of adjustments and changes that need to be made al- along the way. Some of which are, are self-inflicted. We've decided we want to retire earlier or later. We decided now we want a second home or not. Uh, it may be uh, economic. Uh, the economy is now weak. So there no, might need to be some adjustments with respect to portfolio or the amount that we're saving. Some of it might be employer-based. Um, you've decided to take a, uh, a position that might be considered underemployed because of stress levels. Your employer might decide 
to re-engineer you out of a position, or you might walk away from a position to take care of a loved one or whatever the case is. There are critical decisions that if left unattended can have dramatic impacts down the road, but we need to address those. We need to adjust those. We need to change those. And and some of this is not only economic or self-inflicted, it also has to do with monetary policy, what the government is doing, and and even taxation. Um, As an example, just recently, I mean, as recently as just over the holidays, there was a a new bill that was passed, uh, considered the uh, Secure Act uh, Part 2.0. And there were a number of things in there regarding 401k. And a lot of the things in there were really about the employer, what the employer needs to do is about broadening out retirement savings, making it easier for folks of all walks of life and all employment to be able to put money away more easily. But there was this little kernel, this other aspect of the bill that might very well have some unique planning opportunities. Many uh, understand what a 529 is. A 529 is a education savings program. Think of it as a 401k for college education. Mm-hmm. Uh, you put money in, you have a, a series of fund choices, the money grows tax deferred, and then you pull it out for education. There are benefits uh, afforded to that. And that's how this has worked for, well, ever since it was created. Well, the subtle change is simply this. If you've been funding a 529, for 15 years, and you've been funding this 529 for the same beneficiary. So in this case, when I say beneficiary, I'm really referring to the child upon which this money is being saved for. So as a parent or grandparent, you haven't over that 15 years changed the name of the child. It's, It's the same child that we began the savings process for. After 15 years, money can be removed from the 529 and over a series of years can be used to make Roth contributions. And we can move as much as $30,000 now out of a 529 into a Roth account for that child. Now, just to put that in perspective, there's a lot of concern that parents have. Well, what if I fund this thing and we get to the end and I've got more money in there because my child got a scholarship or my child decided to fund their education differently? You know, what do we do then? Because now there's taxes and penalties. Well, now there's an opportunity to use that money and move that off into a Roth. And imagine what that would do, again, a change that happens today that has a huge effect down the road. Now we're talking about a child that is anywhere from 15 to 20 or 21 graduated out of school where we can start funding seriously a Roth account. And imagine getting that money to work in a relatively short period of time, having it fully funded over a five-year period. With the doubling that happens every X number of years and the number of doubles we would expect to see from age 21 to age 60, that becomes a huge bucket of money. It becomes an incredibly cheap and efficient way of generation skipping wealth. 
moving wealth from one generation down to another generation. So here's something that as of three or four months ago, just flat out never existed. And now it's something that we need to make clients aware of. And it's something that we might need to tweak our plan to take advantage of that. So that only happens as a result of dialogue. That only happens as a result of having an informed advisor who understands those implications and can communicate kind of what the future would look like if we elected to participate in that. Communicate, key word in this entire process, Jim. And this episode, listeners, kind of an introduction to a three-part series. We're going to stay under the hood here. A few more episodes, we're going to dive deeply into each element of this bigger, bolder retirement formula. So next time around, we're going to explore investment management more deeply and how capital growth and preservation can translate to greater experiences and opportunities in your retirement. If you're joining us for the first time today and wondering, what is a bigger, bolder retirement? Well, have we got news for you. Go back to episode number two. You can learn all about the concept and how it came about. For a free copy of the Bigger, Bolder Retirement Formula and other free retirement planning tools, all you have to do is visit this episode's show notes. And if you'd like to take a closer look at how the Bigger, Bolder Retirement Formula can enhance your retirement plans, contact Caden Wealth at 800-638-6900, 800-638-6900, or visit cadenwealth.com, that's K-A-Y-D-A-N, wealth.com, and just click Get Started. Of course, you can also follow this podcast, which means you wouldn't have to go back to episode number two because you would already have heard it, but follow the podcast. Make sure you know when the latest episode is ready and share, share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.